0: For more information, visit multrimobile.com.
1: All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. Now, I've got, to, I've got to give you a forewarning. You are about to hear one of the greatest hacks if you are a hunter that travels. So stay tuned for that. I'm telling you, I am upset with myself for not ever having thought of this before this conversation. But... I've got a guy named Tyler Monk on the show and he used this hack actually on a recent trip out to Colorado and I will be forever indebted to him because of this newfound information. Um, So yeah, you got to stick around, listen to the whole podcast so that you can hear a little bit more about that. In fact, after we stopped recording, we talked about it for gosh, a half hour, maybe 40 more minutes. And I'm super pumped. I'm about to call all of my hunting buddies and share the information with them. And I think they will be just as impressed as I was. But I've got more exciting news to share with you. And this doesn't have to do with you guys or something that you need to look forward to. This is 100% selfish, unfortunately. But I just got a new gun. And I could not be more excited about it. I've been researching and watching videos on YouTube and trying to figure out really what the best 20 gauge is. Because I love shooting a 20 gauge. I just do. All of my buddies, some of my buddies, I should say, give me a hard time for it. But I have always loved it. I've shot a Winchester Ranger 20 gauge for as long as I can remember. I've bounced back and forth with other guns. I had a Stoger M3500 for a little while, actually for a couple of years. Really enjoyed that, but would always pick up my, my Winchester again. And then I finally bit the bullet, went to Bass Pro. And actually I've got my wife to partially blame for this. We we went to Bass Pro, we dropped the kids off. We had some time in between dropping the kids off and an appointment um, for her to go and, and get an ultrasound down. And we pull in and she's like, Hey, I need you to do a TikTok with me. And I was like, Okay, cool. What are we gonna do it about? And she's like, you know, just smile and and give me a high five. And so we did. And then she was also like also today's a yes day. She said that on the on the TikTok. And I'm like, what is a yes day? Is that what I think it means? Like she'll just say yes to whatever. And so she gets off and I was like, What does that mean? And she's like, It's a yes day. And I'm like, Okay, whatever. We go in there and I start looking at shotguns. And I had I I'm telling you right now, I went in there with a dream and a hope of buying a shotgun. But with probably a 2% expectation of it actually happening, I would say even less than that. And I walked out with a brand new Benelli Super Black Eagle 3 20 gauge. And I'm so pumped about it, but also I literally haven't even had time to get it out of the box because I had to come home, record a podcast right away, And life has been crazy tonight. So as soon as I'm done editing this episode, I'm going to go play with the new shotgun. Anyways, I hope you guys are as happy for me as I think you're going to be. Or you're probably like, shut up, Dan. Wow, good for you, man. Cool, you got a new gun. I don't know. Anyways, we're going to jump into this episode with Tyler. I'm telling you, it's a great episode. And get ready for this hack. It's it's mind-blowing. And I hope you guys feel the same way about it. Let's hop on.
2: Like he was doing things that were just badass.
1: That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dean had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today is Tyler Monk and Tyler is out of Pennsylvania. He is actually about to start his own podcast here in just a few days but we are going to talk about all things hunting. Um, before we get into that, I got to say, welcome to the show, Tyler.
2: Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me, buddy.
1: Yeah. Um, why don't we do this? We always start by having the guests talk a little bit about themselves, uh, what it is you love about the outdoors, maybe a brief history of how you got into the outdoors.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I always relate back to how I got started just with the picture. Um, my dad showed me one day and it's just me of in the yard, man, I couldn't have been like five or six years old. And I think it was just like a garage sale, longbow, like plastic or fiberglass bow. And I'm just shooting at like this chintzy foam target. And I think back to that picture and it's just like, it's crazy cool to me to think that here I am now, you know, I've traveled out West and, all I think about is hunting and archery and fitness and just every day revolves around getting better to be a better hunter. It's crazy cool to me.
1: Yeah. Like when it's in your blood, it's in your blood and especially growing up from such a young age doing it. I I, I can't imagine there's a whole ton of people that grew up around it from that kind of a young age that it didn't stick with, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's sometimes weird to me because it's like, you know, most people play sports or, you know, they're into just other things. And it's just like hunting to me is just like what football is to the average, average guy, you know, like they're so, so excited to watch a football game on Sunday. I'm excited to go hunting on Saturday morning. You know, it's just like that that drive to me is just it's always been there.
1: Do you, In Pennsylvania, can you hunt on Sunday?
2: So, yes and no. Um, I think it was probably uh, maybe three years, two, two or three years ago, we had the first um, allowed Sunday to hunt. The game commission allowed us three selected Sundays out of the year. It was one Sunday in archery one sunday in rifle season and one sunday for black bear rifle and um it's been that way for i think i think two years now okay so um i'm not quite sure where they stand on it for the 2022 season um i would imagine it would be the same but maybe it'll change
1: it's so interesting to me. I didn't even know up until probably five years ago that there were states that didn't allow hunting on Sundays. I I just assumed like it's hunting season, you can get out and hunt. Can you? Can you fish on Sundays? You can fish. Yeah, you can do anything but hunt. Um, I believe
2: you can predator hunt. Um, I believe I don't really do a whole lot of predator hunting. Um, I just get tied up with other stuff. But it is frustrating from from time to time when you know you got a a buck pattern or you know you feel like you're close to getting close to one and you know next day Sunday and you can't go in the woods you know it it definitely it definitely uh aggravates you
1: I'm curious how many people see how many people see buck movement increase like on trail cameras on Sundays if the buck's like no like hey we're good nobody can kill us today oh yeah there's
2: no doubt that I mean, I firmly believe deer pattern us way more than we pattern them. Oh, yeah. Um, As much as I hate to say it. um, You know, I think there's a mixed bag of people. I've asked people this question a lot, you know, are are you a a fan of the no Sunday hunting or are you a fan of the, and it's it's kind of been a mixed bag. I've been surprised. I don't really know where I stand on it yet either. It's, I mean, as a hunter, yes, I want to hunt on Sunday. I want to hunt any day I can when the season is and in. Um, I do get, you know, from a landowner's perspective, I get their reason, you know, you know, if you're a farmer that has public land and you have six guys that hunt your area, maybe you don't want their trucks there on Sunday. It's nice to have the break. I get it. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think my wife would absolutely love it if we went to no hunting on Sundays. In fact, she'd probably be fine with us going to only being able to hunt three days a week, but (laughs) as a hunter, (laughs) I'm like, man, let me hunt any chance I get. Um, yeah, I am kind of curious now to see how many people would be opposed to it versus for it. Um, and then the reasons why, because like I said, it's not an issue that I've ever really dove into. And until you mentioned it at the start, I totally forgot that there were still places that don't allow hunting.
2: What's crazy is, you know, living in Western PA, we can drive 40 minutes to Ohio and hunt from middle of September till middle of February any day of the week. Yeah. You know, from daylight to dark, Monday through Sunday.
1: See, I envy you on that. I wish I was close enough to a state border. I mean, I've always been probably an hour to an hour and a half away from another state's border, and I'm like, Dude, I wish I was, like, right there. I mean, like, five minutes, I could be in a different yeah, state, yeah. and then I could have, like, multiple tags within 30 minutes of my drive or 30 minutes yeah. of my house. I need to there plan definitely that. Is a,
2: yeah, there definitely is a perk. Um, I had a good buddy this this season. He, uh, he just woke up one Sunday morning early, way before daylight. He went online, bought a tag, drove to Ohio, killed a buck and drove home. I mean, he was, oh Gosh, he, he from 5.00 AM, he didn't have a tag by noon. He was tagged out. You know, it can happen just like that. Yeah. So yeah. there, there is an advantage to it.
1: I think, I think what I need to do as far as whitetail hunting goes, it would probably be best to be in like the South East corner of Iowa Cause then you could hunt Kansas and Missouri and Iowa Mm -hmm. all within like a really short drive, honestly. And you could probably get up to Southwest Minnesota fairly quickly also. So you could really have like four awesome States for hunting all within an hour. And the reason I would live in Iowa is because I think they're probably the hardest state to get a tag in, um, for a non-resident, like as far as Midwest hunting. So
2: yeah, that's what I've heard. And that's funny you say that because I've heard a lot recently of big deer coming out of Minnesota. Like, it seems like a very interesting state, you know, to hunt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that whole, that whole region of the country. I mean, northern Missouri, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, even northern Illinois. Um, the Dakotas produce good deer. Like, everywhere up there, it just seems like there's something in the soil, man. Something in the water that... Yeah. Grows big mature deer and grows a lot of deer. I'm talking like when I have people up there, they get blown away by how many deer we see and how big of deer we see. We brought uh do you know Buck Gardner Calls, um, waterfowl company? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, a couple of those guys came up to Wisconsin on hunt this year with me, my buddy Drew, my cousin, and some of his friends, and we went out scouting one day and we're just driving the roads looking for birds, looking in fields on water. And there were, I mean, I forget how many deer live up there. Like you go by and if you go by more than three or four fields close to dark and you don't see deer, something's off because they're just all over. And uh, one of the guys, Zach, he was riding with us and he's like, dude, those are the biggest deer I've ever seen. And i'm like dude that's like a two-year-old doe and a bunch of yearling fawns like those aren't big deer and he's like they're huge but yeah i think it's the habitat the the food the water i don't know they just get freakishly large
2: i've had that same experience um like driving down through parts of maryland like we'll be going to the beach like on a family vacation Hmm. and i've seen some of the most deer ever just in fields in maryland like that's a state that you don't even think about, but I've taken multiple trips and it'd be nothing to look into a soybean field and see easily 40 some deer. And it was just like, it blows your mind. It's like, man, you never I'm, think of
1: that. I'm going to have to look into that Maryland. I would have never, ever pictured that was the state you were going to say. I thought you were going to say no. like Idaho or something, but yeah, no.
2: it's always, it's always been curious to me. Like those, even more Eastern States that are so small, but how many deer can they hold? You know, yeah. it, it just, I've only been through Maryland. I haven't been through any other Eastern States really, but from what I've seen, the parts I've driven through, there's been a lot of deer.
1: Yeah. What, a uh, what did you first get into growing up? What kind of hunting was it?
2: Probably Turkey hunting <laughs> with my dad. Um, there was, I think I've killed probably three three turkeys when I was just still little enough to sit between his legs as he was resting up, you know, his back up against a tree. Yeah. He would, you know, call and I was seven or eight years old. Whenever you could take your hunter safety course and then also, you know, have a mentor with you. Um, that was probably my first what I remember to be my first hunt, um, we did a lot of turkey hunting. Pennsylvania has a lot of good turkey hunting nice. opportunities here. Um, and then that, I always said that turkey hunting was my favorite, and then I experienced the rut. <laughs> and then and then I was like, oh, this is like a different game. This is crazy. Yeah. I'm you know, always when you good. have, go ahead. When you have a good rut day, it, it does something to you. You just, you can't shut up about it.
1: Yeah, the uh, it it's interesting to me hearing people that come from turkey hunting and go to whitetail hunting um, like you, you having more experiences with turkey early on and then you experience the rut and you're like, OK, I'm hooked. Right. I don't run into a ton of people that are the opposite, like where they start out deer hunting and then all of a sudden they're like sold out for turkey hunting. Really? I'm that way. I grew up. Deer hunting. Like I knew nothing about turkey hunting until I was in college and moved down to Missouri, and I got into turkey hunting. And by get into it, I was like, "Oh, I can go and hunt a turkey." Okay, sure, why not? And my yeah. buddies are like, "Dude, you're gonna love it. Your heart is gonna be pounding. Like it's so insane. There's a rush. Like when you hear them coming, it's game on." And I will admit, like hearing turkeys gobble while you're turkey hunting, it's like, "Oh man." They're yeah. yeah. Here. Like with deer, you don't yeah. know they're there typically until you see them. Right. Um, but yeah, with turkeys hearing them, I was like, all right, this is kind of cool.
2: Well, I yeah. hear that one of your 2022 goals is to kill a turkey the proper way.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That is, I, man, I don't know if it's going to happen because I'm the type of guy, if I see them out in the field, I'm not waiting for them to come to me. Or if I see them like crossing <laughs> into the woods, like I'm going after him because. Yeah. I know they're there and I would probably I would probably do the same thing if I was deer hunting. Say I was sitting in like one of my good stands and I see a target buck like on the other side of the property cuz where I sit I can see basically from the west side of the property all the way to the east side of the property and we're talking several hundred yards across bean field, cattle pasture, a pond or a creek depending on which way I'm looking another cattle pasture, and another woodlot. So, like, I'm looking a long ways. If I see a big buck go into the woods over there, even, even with my bow, I'm probably going to get down and try to oh, work my can. way closer to it. I just don't, oh, you know, they're not going to come from that far straight to me. The odds of them picking that, like, one degree, if you're looking at it like a, a circle, right. if they pick that one degree and come over to me, it's got to be, I mean, well, one in three hundred and sixty odds, probably.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, are you hoping to, you know, acquire some decoys and call them in this spring, or what's your what's your game plan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of buddies with decoys, and I've had success with birds coming close to me with decoys. But I've when it, when that's happened, they've been I've had a few sc- scenarios. One, they've been on a neighbor's property and literally been three feet from me, but on the other side of the fence. And I'm like, I'm just not going to do it. I don't have permission on that guy's property, but I specifically sat here because I know they come out right in that corner every day and nobody hunts there. And so I'm like, I'm going to try to get them to come across the field. Um, So they'll come all the way up to the fence, but they never seem to want to cross. I've also had birds working and had my buddy shoot way too early and blow both of our opportunities at a double of oh, these. And I think other than that, I had one Turkey that came in and it had nothing to do with my calling or my decoy. It just happened to feed my direction. Like it noticed that something was calling, but it took a couple hours for it to get from where I first saw it to where I was. So it wasn't like coming in to fight. It wasn't coming in mm-hmm. to greed, It was just, going to feed that way either way right Um, right and so yeah i've had a lot of encounters with turkeys but never killed one because i've called it in
2: yeah the one thing i've noticed like whenever using uh, my decoys it's it's like hit or miss either they're full-on engaged in them or they want nothing to do with them yeah um this past spring i had a a flock of uh, probably seven or eight hens and uh, four gobblers come in and they came in enough time for me to get a shot, but they were there for maybe five seconds and that was it. They didn't want anything to do with them, but I've had times where they've come in and they'll just knock them over, you know? So it seems like it's just, it's different for every
1: bird. Yeah. Uh, I hunted with a guy I don't think it was this year I think it was two years ago now I don't remember for sure but um my buddy Brad came out he invited one of his friends out and he's like dude he's got one of those like robo turkeys right it's on a stake but it also has a motor so it spins and it just fans and so we sit there and I'm like dude we just saw birds pitch down into this field yesterday it was all hens we never got a shot at them but like they're here and they're probably going to come back So we sit all day, we see a bunch of turkeys, like in the neighbor's field, we hear a ton of them. And I was like, I got to head to work. You guys keep hunting. And I left and I was like, you know what, before I do, so I had to walk across about 230 acres, had to walk over, get my vehicle. And I was like, before I head to town, I'm going to go loop around to the other properties that we have access to and just see if anything's out. And if they are, I'll call you guys and let you know. So I go to the other properties, don't see anything. I was like, I'm going to make one more pass back along the field. And as I do, I realize that the amount of decoys we had out, there were like three times that many turkeys in the field. And I'm like, oh, dude. And all of a sudden I just see whoosh, this Tom just like fans out. He's looking right at me. I'm on the road like driving probably 35, 40 miles an hour. And it just like fan, I don't know if it, looked at me but it seemed like it made eye contact because it turned right towards me and so I'm just waiting I like pull up farther on the road get out of my vehicle um, at the gate out of sight of these birds and I call my buddy Brad and I'm like dude are you about to shoot one of these toms and he's (laughs) like one of what toms and I'm like dude there are turkeys in the decoy spread are you asleep and he's like no we walked up to the woods we just wanted to walk through the woods and see if anything was moving in there And I'm like, oh my gosh, man, like all of the turkeys in the whole area are right inside of your decoy spread right now. So he's like, dude, I'm going to meet you over by the pond. We're going to creep across. We're going to set up the turkey fan and try to get close to these birds. And I was like, dude, the turkey fans in the blind, like we don't have any chance of any of this. So what we end up doing is getting set up on the fence line. And then we call and had zero success trying to get those birds over and away from the decoys. Anyways. All that to say, I've seen birds come in because of decoys. I've called birds in. I've stalked birds. I've done every type of turkey hunting you can imagine. And I've never killed one the proper way. So yes, all that to say, that's a really long way of saying, I hope to kill one the proper way.
2: I've always said, I'm so glad that turkeys can't smell like deer can because they'd be impossible to kill. For me at least. Oh yeah. 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 Their eyesight's amazing, and if they could smell just as good as deer, I'd think there'd be turkeys everywhere because it'd be hard as heck to kill them.
1: Yeah. I, I've found turkeys are, I could see them being the most frustrating animal out there like to hunt because I've seen them not in season. I've been in the middle of a field. I actually went on live TikTok one day when I was checking my trail cameras. It would have been probably late summer, maybe midsummer this year. And I'm out checking trail cameras and I look and there's like 10 turkeys out in the field. And so I literally get on all fours and I'm crawling in the field, trying to get closer. And there's a little bit of topography enough to where they can't see me. And I just keep kind of peeking my head up and I see them and they're coming right at me. And they get to like 40 or 50 yards. I'm talking like um, crops this tall at this point. And I'm completely exposed. I'm like, dude, I could have shot any one of those turkeys if this was turkey season. And then one day we were turkey hunting or no, I don't know. We were turkey or duck hunting. We parked the vehicle in the same spot typically and we get back to the vehicle and a turkey, I mean, just bombs us. Like I could have probably like flipped my gun around and just clubbed it out of the air. It flew that (laughs) low over my buddy's truck. And I'm like, are you, are you kidding me right now?
0: yeah
1: come turkey season you'll see them they'll come in they'll stay on the neighbor's property or you have to chase after them and it seems like every time I'm not turkey hunting I have close encounters with them
2: yeah it's funny how it works out like that man it's it's one of those things where you just shake your head
1: yeah so ter- turkey hunting was first then the rut I mean got its got its grasp oh, yeah. on you what is, yeah, so, uh, what has deer hunting been like in Pennsylvania?
2: Uh, a roller coaster. Um, my, I first got into archery hunting. Um, my dad, you know, just buying me a bow. Um, I think I had a Parker, I forget which model it was, but it was a Parker. And I just remember just arrow after arrow after arrow and him standing there with me, critiquing me, you know, show me the, you know, whatever he knew, you know, I'll always be thankful for him to show me how to shoot a bow because that's all I do right now. So, you know, just archery hunting. Um, I don't think there's been a season I've missed an archery season, man. Like that's, that's just my time. Yeah, That's, I'm not a, I'm not a big rifle hunter at all. Um, in fact, even in rifle season, I take my bow. I just like the challenge. Um, I just don't really have a draw to rifles. Um, but anytime I can go and chase deer with a bow, that's, that's all me.
1: Do you go compound or you, have you made the, uh, jump down to like recurve?
2: No, I, I'm not even good enough at a compound (laughs) yet to master (laughs) recurve yet. So, um, until until that happens i think i'll be sticking with the compound Uh, i have shot a recurve it's fun i think you know there's definitely a place for it um i'd have to shoot it a while to even consider shooting at an animal with it you know because there's definitely a there's definitely a risk you know involved it's just a totally different game when you introduce a stick bow but oh yeah um no it's just been a compound just you know over the years just upgrading equipment just critiquing every little thing and just being like insanely detailed with compound archery hunting
1: yeah i uh i haven't done much com- uh recurve shooting i absolutely love compound shooting and yeah i really want to get into like long range compound shooting uh, yeah. Once I got my bow, I started like first day because I got that single pin adjust so I can crank it down to a hundred and theoretically it's on. Dude, right. that is one of the funnest things ever. Like letting an yeah. arrow go, especially with uh, an Illuminok or a Nocturnal or whatever the lighted yep. knock you choose. Um, just letting it go and just watching that arc and then all of a sudden, boom, just smokes the target. Yep. That is addicting.
2: I, th- I. Th- I think my, my biggest like draw to that was watching like a Cam Haynes video and, you know, watching him pop a balloon at like 135 yards. Oh, or something. Yeah. I'm like, I got to go do that. And I went to the dollar store and I like bought a pack of balloons and I can't really stretch out to a hundred in our yard. So I went to our bow club and I, you know, put a balloon at a target, step back to a hundred, do a little trial and error. I got it, and I'm like, that is awesome.
1: That is so cool. That is awesome. Dude, I want to do... I wonder how you could do, like, tic-tac-toe with, with balloons that far.
2: Ooh, or, I feel like that would be an expensive tic-tac-toe game.
1: Yeah. You either do <laughs> you know. tic-tac-toe or, like, Connect Four or something because you can't really make it an X or an O. But I guess right. what you right. could do is you could have one dude with, like, red knocks and one dude with green knocks and then you could do tic-tac-tac-toe like right. that yeah yeah. I, th- I feel like yeah. that'd be awesome like to have two people that get good enough at at 100 yard shooting to try to pop balloons at that distance so like throughout the summer do you practice far ranges oh yeah I practice every time I take my bow out and shoot I'll practice from 10 yards all the way out I think it was about 96 95 somewhere in there. It just really depended on where I stood at the back of the garage uh, to get that little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, I would shoot probably five to 10 arrows at each distance going out there. Sometimes it would be, you know, every 10 yards. Sometimes it would be every five yards, just depending on how much time I had. And I did that for a long time when my kids would take a nap. It was like the kids would go down for a nap. I'd go grab my stuff and go shoot um, yeah. for at least an hour to two hours. And I, I just love shooting. I love shooting everything though. If I could shoot shotguns every day, if I could shoot rifles every day, my bow every day, like I'd be the happiest dude in the world.
2: Yeah. I think one thing I tried this, this summer, uh, more than other years was just cold shooting. I would leave my bow somewhere where it was easily accessible and I would just pick an arrow up and shoot and then let it go for an hour, sometimes three hours, pick it up and shoot again. And then just, I think that really tested like mentally and it just made me focus more like, all right, this is one shot. If you screw it up, you're going to think about it until you shoot your bow the next time.
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? I like that. I like that idea. I like the idea of um, only shooting one arrow. Uh, even if, even if you are out there for 30 minutes, like set something up at 50 yards and only shoot one at a time. My problem was I would shoot every arrow I had. I was just like, dude, I'm just going to do this for fun. Sometimes I mess up. Sometimes I don't. For the most part, I would be pretty accurate, but I definitely noticed if I went a week without shooting, oh man, my first arrow, there's no telling. Yeah. Like, yeah. In fact, I did that one time. And it wasn't this year, it was when I was using my old release. I went out there and I'm drawing it back. And I get like probably 75% of the way. And all of a sudden, it just lets go. And the arrow is gone, I mean, flies through the air, hits some tree branches like way (laughs) above my target. And then goes like all the way back to the back of the property. And I'm like, what the heck? Did I really just mess up and like hit the hit the release on the way back? And I was so upset with myself. So then I made sure to like grab behind the trigger to where it's like almost pushing the trigger forward. And so I go to draw back. Boom. Same thing. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Well, my release started to fail. Don't know what it was, but I was like, screw this. I'm going to go buy a new type of release. And yeah, for real, every time after that, I would like just do it every now and then to see. And I'd like slowly pull it back and put some tension on it like while holding the string or whatever i just clip it to a d loop and it would always break open on its own so um i just trash that release i'm sure there was one some way to like adjust it or or fix it but i got a thumb release and i probably won't ever go back
2: now that's what i shoot now i i've tested some releases and i've found for me personally a thumb release is just i'm the most consistent yeah. with that type But it's funny though, because like I've found like shooting a bow is almost in a way as frustrating as golf, because like when you play golf, like some days you're on and some days you're just like, what, what am I even doing with this sport? Yeah. And like, some days I'll go shoot a bow and I can shoot a one inch group. And then some days it'll look like a shotgun pattern. And it's just like, what, what in the heck is going on? And it's just. It's just reps, you know, that's all it is.
1: Oh, yeah. I, uh, I've always thought that having an actual golf course set up, but for archery would be so cool. Like I'm talking you straight up, you know, it's a par three and you have to hit a target. (laughs) And I mean, you just have to launch your arrow as far as you can and try to make it happen. Um, Yeah. It would be a long, I mean, you'd have to only play like three holes. Otherwise you'd yeah. be exhausted. You'd be walking miles and miles. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that would be, that would be fun. I just like when people get creative and, and find new ways to challenge themselves with whatever equipment they're using. And that's yeah. what, that's what I love about all sorts of shooting. It's like, you can extend ranges now and you can do it without really having to invest any more money. Like you can right. build a thousand yard gun for a, under a thousand bucks now. Um, yeah. As far as long range shooting goes, yeah, you're not gonna have you're not gonna have the groupings that you would if you had a five thousand dollar build. But at least it's affordable for most people. And then with the bow, I don't think there's many people who can outshoot their bow. Like you put any 20, 2022 model bow in someone's hands, and there's probably less than one percent of archers who could actually shoot better than that bow can, if that makes sense. All right, guys, I need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that I've been using for quite a while now. It's called Bull Elk Beard Oil. If you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors, whether it's on the mountain, in the marsh, or in the woods, you've felt the effects of the wind, the sun, and the cold on your face. What this product does, it helps you look better, feel more confident, and it helps your beard keep its moisture. Not to mention, it smells great. So now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullhelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code nomadic and get 20% off your order.
2: I think that's I think that's the whole drive to me. Is that yeah. like you'll never master it, no matter what. Yeah. You know, you no matter how many YouTube videos you watch, it's just like you can be so efficient but yet there's just that one little thing you know yep. you might screw it up and i what i you know going back to your shooting um you ever see the reinhardt uh one-third size elk
0: yeah it's like a small, yeah, have.
2: small elk that thing makes shooting so frustrating but so fun at the same time because it's it is tiny i mean it's small target but Aim small, miss small, yep. and you know if you were to instead of standing, you know, perfectly in line with it in your backyard at forty yards, I would put that thing, you know, in front of like a firewood stack, or you know, maybe put the vitals behind like the bird feeder, and, and then get on an angle, and you know, you might break some arrows, but man, that tests you. Really, I, like, I found yeah. that to be really good too. I yeah.
1: wanna, I I wanna try to figure out what causes it. I've noticed that say I have a block target, you know, like a five sided or a five number five on the side of a die, um, just like circles. I cannot shoot at a paper target or like just a shape nearly as good as I can on a deer. Like if I have a 3d deer target out, I I'm putting it in the vitals all the way out to 50 or 60 yards. Like 19 out of 20 times, but for some reason, when I switch over to, to an actual like target target block target, whatever, I just can't seem to hit that hole. And I actually took, I took a roll of duct tape and I put it on the deer because I felt like the vitals were off on the deer target that I bought. I just bought some cheap one for like a hundred bucks. Right. And I thought that the heart was off based on the anatomy of a deer and all my time shooting or all my time hunting. And so I just took a, I took a, um, uh, roll of duct tape and then I traced the inside of the roll of duct tape on the deer target so that I was like, all right, that is my point of aim. That's where I feel like the heart of a deer is. And so I would shoot and it's like, even with that, I could put it in that spot from, I wouldn't say from 60 yards, but anything inside of 45, I could put it in it almost every time, but I couldn't hit that same size target on a block target that, that Mm -hmm. often. And so I'm like, man, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an actual, like, it makes me think about it more shooting at the shape of a deer or what, but uh, I wish I had enough 3d targets to like set a whole course up all the way out to a hundred yards.
2: Isn't it crazy how, it's such a, a muscle memory, but yet it's also mental at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, this is where I'm getting at is, like, you'll never master it because there's so many things going on and, like, how, you know, you have trouble shooting at a five-sided die, but yet, you know, you go to shoot a 3D deer target and you're fine. Yeah, Something, something going on there, you know. Yeah,
1: there's a disconnect. And the other thing that I – I love and it frustrates me. I think I probably love it more than it frustrates me. Um, is when I'm shooting, especially long range, as soon as I let that, as soon as I hit that thumb, I know if I'm like drilling the target or what direction I'm off. I, it's very, Absolutely. very rare that I shoot and I think it's gonna hit a little bit high and maybe it hits left and low. It's almost yep. always like, dang it, that was a little bit right. And sure enough, boom, it hits and it's a little bit right. The fact that I've shot enough to where I can tell you where that arrow is going before it ever makes contact, it's a good feeling, but it's very frustrating when you make a bad shot because you're immediately like, boom, oh crap, and you're reaching for another arrow just like, I got to correct that, whatever I did wrong. Yep,
2: yep, yeah, I mean there's times where I'll I don't even know if I call it target panic. I'm sure it's like a form of target panic where maybe my pin isn't right where i want it to be but yet i still shoot because i i can't move it anymore like yeah. it's i'm sure it is a form it just of target gets stuck
1: off off target
2: yeah you just get frozen i'm not even necessarily off the target i'm just the pin is just not quite where i want it to be but i just shoot anyway yeah and i just it's got to be just a mix of mental and just you know reps i don't know
1: i find i find that resetting in those situations helps a lot and right some people tell you to like fully draw down like get used to like all right i'm gonna let up and then i'm gonna take a breath and redo it and walk through all the steps i don't do that i'm like if i had to do that out in the woods because all of a sudden my pin won't settle where it needs to like that deer is probably going to be gone so i find a different way to reset and that's that if i'm like I typically draw back and then I come up to the target. I never come down. I never come like left or right. Mm -hmm. I draw, draw back, and then I raise my pin to the target. If it's just seems like it's struggling to get on target, I'll just like make sure it's way below again, and I'll just drop it off the target completely, and then bring it back up. So maybe try that. Try to reset, and then, and then you know get all the way onto the target. I just, I don't care to let down. I hate letting down on my bow. Like, I don't know why. I don't know if it's like a a failure mentality. Like, if I let down on my bow, I mess something up big time, whether the deer took off or I just can't get on target. Like, I'd rather try to correct it while drawn back.
2: Something that I've noticed like over the years, too. Like, every year that I've shot a buck, it's almost like, I have like this, I don't know if I call it brain fog, but I just like, I don't remember anything. Yeah. Like I draw my bow back. I, I kind of remember seeing that pin settle and I make the shot and it feels like a split second. And, you know, luckily I haven't made, you know, too horrible of a shot over the years and they've all, you know, I've recovered every deer, but it's just like, I don't even remember settling the pin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, I think that's a good thing because I can account that to just reps in the backyard, you know, just having that muscle memory ready. But I kind of just laugh because I don't remember anything like it just feels weird to me.
1: Well, and typically I think, I think there's probably a couple of reasons for that. It's probably like an adrenaline dump. Like, I mean, your body is just pumping at that point, an endorphin rush, you know, and there's so many things going on that you can't take it all in. But also part of it could be that like when you're duck hunting, if you shoot at some birds and you're like, dude, I smoked that one. Like you're already talking about it immediately, or even turkey hunting. If you're turkey hunting with somebody else, you can remember it, but but if you're by yourself out in the stand and you shoot some something it's not like an immediate recount of what just happened you know yeah, yeah. you're not immediately talking through how it all went down you're actually you go from shooting to now you're like following that deer trying to see where it last goes in see what the tail's doing see if it's running remember if it mule kicked Um, see if you can see blood dumping out, is the arrow still in it? And so your body or your mind is trying to take in all this information that it probably just like discounts the little things that's become second nature to you. Right. Right. But yeah, I can, man, every time, every time I shoot an animal, like I can remember the act of doing it without the details. Oh yeah. It's like dude, I remember. I remember like just being so pumped. As soon as that arrow released, I remember watching it, seeing where it hit, what did the animal do? I can tell you almost the exact path of every deer that I've ever shot, where it went, how far it went, but leading up to the point of pulling the trigger or hitting the release. No idea.
2: Isn't it funny that like you know, you look at a a shoulder mount on the wall or you know, a collection of shed antlers or what, whatever. And like you look at those and you can remember every specific detail about that object. I haven't found anything else that does that to me. No. You know, if I have an old, you know, baseball trophy or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, I look at it, I look at a shoulder mount and I can tell you the temperature, the wind direction, what time I woke up. I can tell you how many deer I saw that day. I can tell you the probably the day before that, yep. you know, it's just like, it's engraved. It's weird.
1: It's, I think it's whenever you become sold out for something, whenever it's like just an absolute passion that you can't get over because yep. I've known people like that with sports. I mean, even watching sports, they could tell you if I'm like, Hey, do you remember when, uh, green Bay played the Rams? Uh, you know, back in, 2018 they're like oh yeah dude the final score was this dude do you remember that catch that the tight end made and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. like listen i'm a huge green bay fan but i don't remember all those details i remember like some big plays or they're like oh yeah back in high school we were playing this rival school the final score of the game was like 74 to 79 we we pulled ahead five points in the last like 12 seconds of the game and i'm just like See, you were a hundred percent in on that. That is hunting for me. Like I can yep. tell you the fish that are the outdoors for me in general. I can tell you trails that I hiked, the animals that I saw on them. I can tell you how many, like you said, deer I saw. I can tell you how big the fish was that I caught on a certain day last year. And it's because yep. I'm just sold out for the outdoors. And so yep. it, it really is cool to see what our minds can do when we're absolutely passionate about something.
2: Yeah, it's it's so weird because you know going along with that point, like my trip to Colorado this year, I I almost enjoyed just the mountain air and the creeks and the campfire and the dinners in a bag more than shooting at an elk. Yeah, you know you just like pick up on that, and it's like you can just relive it.
1: Yeah. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. I could sit if I never pulled the trigger on an animal, but I could sit and glass something with my tripod and my binos in front of me on the edge of a mountain or a rock outcropping, looking across the mountains, across a creek bottom, across a giant field. Dude, I'd be fulfilled. Yeah. For sure. yeah. I tell my buddies, I told them, I was like, I'm sorry I say this every time we sit down to glass because I took some buddies out there that had never elk hunted before. And we would sit down and I'm like, this is my favorite part about elk hunting. Like I could (laughs) sit here and do this all day long without any hesitation. And it's just like, yeah, you told us that this morning when we did this. And you told us that yesterday when we did this, I'm like, well, it's true. It is. It's there's so much more to Western hunting and even, even sitting in a tree stand all day. I could sit yeah. in a tree stand all day long without seeing anything and have enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's amazing how much you can learn just being out there. It's yeah. so crazy to me, you know, whether you learn it about yourself or your hunting buddies or just nature in general, it's, there's never a time that you go in the woods and you don't learn
1: something. Yeah. 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 It's always, you're always taking in information and it's just about what you end up doing with that information. Like if you make a conscious effort to go, I saw this many deer tonight and it was 10 times as many as last night. And this is why you're going to learn something. If you're just out there watching and not really trying to put logic behind what you're seeing, you're probably not going to improve nearly as fast as if you try to figure out why it is that animals are doing what they're doing. Um, uh, switching topics real quick. What, what's up with the podcast? That's what I want to know. I've seen your logo. <laughs> We've talked about it yeah. a little bit, but I'm sure the listeners want to hear about another podcast that they can dive into.
2: Yeah. So I had this idea, like, I feel like I've listened to podcasts for probably three or four years now. It was like when I started getting interested in like Western hunting You start trying to find more areas that you can learn. So I found um, different podcasts. um, And I made this connection, like, I can't shut up about hunting. (laughs) So I might as well talk about it and record it. Yeah. So I've had this idea, you know, I'm like flirting with what I can name it. What's it going to be about? Um, And then finally, like this end of the summer, this fall, just had the idea. Uh, I recently got a German short-haired pointer. Um, she's one of my best hunting buddies right now. She's going to be a, a shed antler dog, training her to find shed antlers. So we came up with the On Point Perspective podcast. Nice. We're just going to talk hunting, um, dog training. I have another buddy that got a German short hair, so we kind of, you know, share ideas back and forth with that. Um, I feel like hunting in social media is definitely a hot topic right now. Yeah. I think we can di- dive into that. Um, something that really does interest me is the, um, financial side behind hunting and budgeting for, you know, specifically Western hunting and stuff like that. Cause that stuff can get super expensive. Yeah. And I think coming from you know, a 24 year old's perspective, it can probably reach out to a lot of kids, young guys, my age, help some people out. And, you know, it's tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Western hunting deal, it's cool to see how many people, um, are realizing that they can travel and hunt and do it on a budget. And it, it, it's not beyond reach. Like, I think that I think that meat eater has done a great job of showing people that and social media has done a great job of showing people that guys making their own YouTube videos and they're like, Hey, we're just going to go hunt a bunch of different States, whether it's the hunting public going and doing that for whitetail, whether it's the meat eater crew going and doing that. I mean, really all over the country and all over the world, obviously they've got a pretty big budget, but there's plenty of guys. If you go on YouTube and look up DIY hunts, just outfitting their truck bed, turning it into a mobile hotel with a small stove yep. and uh, a yep. bow rack and a, sh- a boot dryer and all this different stuff. Like it, if that's what you're passionate about, just about anyone can make an out of state hunt or a couple out of state hunts, a reality each year. And right. I think where people get in, uh, in trouble is they're like, man, I love going to football games. And so we spend, you know, We go to five professional games a year, but I want to, I want to travel and hunt. I just don't have the budget. It's like, well, if football is more of a priority, then you're not going to be able to go and hunt like that. Or it could be dirt biking or really any hobby. If, if hunting's your number one passion though, and you really want to do it, you'll find a way to do it.
2: Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just kind of got to create a side hustle too, you know, Yeah. whatever that may be just to earn a, you know little extra cash to put towards a tag or towards gas money or airfare or whatever. Um, you know, if it's in you, you'll find a way to get it done, you know. But um have you ever ever listened to East Meets West
1: no podcast? I haven't.
2: That's his name's Bo Martonic. He's from PA, Northern PA. He does a really good job about, you know, guys traveling from the East. To west you know from tag applications to different hunting units and strategies and stuff that he's a solid dude
1: nice yeah that's so, awesome yeah. it's it's good that people are putting out content I wish oh yeah I wish the podcast was or podcasting was a bigger thing when I was in high school um, and even college I think is really when it started to take off but I wish I would have known about all the different opportunities and like hey Although I'm in high school, I need to be putting in for tags out west and like yeah. I could go and hit some of these hit some of these states up and again it comes down to money so you got to figure out what your budget is and then look up a YouTube video of like how do I go hunt this state for $800 like somebody's yeah. going to give you a gear rundown how much it costs in gas how much the tag was and help you figure it out. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a big push for me this year, um, is helping people figure that out and helping people explore more places. I just love hunting with new people. Also, I like to get out and even if they're not a first time hunter, if they've been hunting all their lives, I just like connecting with new people. And so the podcast has been awesome for that, but I want to, I want to start getting people out west more because I've fallen in love with it.
2: It's so crazy. It's just a totally different world.
1: It is. It absolutely you know. is. And turkey hunters, if you're a turkey hunter, like a diehard, I love the communication because that seems like the common theme. If people love turkey hunting, it's like the back and forth. You can talk to them. They talk back. You can call them in. You yeah, can yeah. pretend to be, you know, uh, Jake, a Han, a Tom, whatever. And yeah. if you enjoy that aspect of it, you got to go try elk hunting. Like, Yeah,
2: it's, it's funny because I – you know, long story short, I ended up missing an elk this year and my buddy's like, you know, 10 yards behind me calling and he's, you know, and I just sailed this arrow over the back, just, you know, completely, he the moment, just rust a shot and whatever. And I look back, I'm like, man, I don't even think I was shaking. He's like, dude, you were shaking like a leaf. You were shaking so bad. I'm like, dang it, man. That was so crazy cool. But to see an elk, just how big they are. And just, you know, you envision what's going to happen in your head. And then all of a sudden it's like 40 yards in front of you. It's like, oh my, that's crazy.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I'm sold out on Western hunting. I've fallen in love with all sorts of Western hunts and I've definitely got my bucket list item. Speaking of what is your like number one bucket list item? Where would you hunt? What would you hunt? And with what weapon?
0: Oh,
2: it would probably be, oh man, I think probably a, I don't know about a state, it would be a Western, probably elk hunt with my dad and uncle. Nice. Just, just to have two, two guys that, you know, I've always talked about hunting with, you know, my dad's the first guy I call when I shoot a deer. Yeah. Um, and my uncle, he lives out West, so he's, you know, he's telling me what's going on with the animals out there. And I think to go on a Western elk hunt, I think Utah would be pretty sweet. A Utah elk hunt in the rut, uh, Nevada would be cool. Any Western elk hunt with my dad and uncle, um, that'd be, that'd be my number one.
1: Yeah, that'd be sweet. Um, what, what was your strategy for your elk hunt this year? Were you just sitting and calling? Did you go find the elk and then set up? Uh, yeah, it
2: was it was tough because we went super – we went at the beginning of the season. We got there two days before the opener, hiked in the day before, so we had camp set up. And uh, for guys that were out in Colorado this year, they know it rained all day the day before. And we, we literally set our tent up and it just rained and it rained and it rained all day, all night. And we woke up and everything was soaked. So unfortunately we were there. We were there from the first till the seventh, I think. And it was just early. It was a matter of just going and find an elk. You know, there weren't being vocal yet. It was, you know, let's go find some tracks. Let's go try to find a wallow anything we can do to find sign and just get on elk. Um, We did get into elk. We got into elk three days, um, which first time out West never hunted elk. I think that was a success for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, And then the last day, you know, I decide to fling one over the back of a, of a bull (laughs) stuff happens. You know, I, I wasn't mad at all. I wasn't upset. I was, I was so excited like that that opportunity just presented itself, but you know, we hiked a lot. Just, you know, we set up over some wallows didn't work out, but man, I haven't stopped thinking about that hunt since. And like what I would change. And I'm like, I'm just ready to get back at it.
1: Yeah. I watched a video this year where they set up over a wallow, but the dude brought his tree stand and he hung his tree stand over a wallow. Ooh. Actually, no, yeah. I don't think it was a tree stand. I think he was saddle hunting. He was saddle hunting yeah. a big pine right over the swallow. And he had a he had a bull come in. And I now I'm having a hard time remembering if he shot at it or if it just busted him and took off. But I'm like, dude, I love sitting in tree stands. Like, there's something about it. When you're up yeah. in a tree and it's just like, I have literally nothing to do but sit here and wait for a deer, it's one of the coolest feelings. And to think that you can do that probably not that great of a success rate because elk have yeah, yeah. so many places to go. Oh yeah. Um, and then that many eyes and noses and ears coming in on you. Uh, but man, to get up in a tree over a wallow, that seems like it would be a, a day well spent.
2: Something I, I wasn't, I was expecting, but not to the amount that it was, was the amount of deadfall in the area. And I mean, it was crazy. It was like doing hurdles every couple feet. Yep. You know, which made it tough because you're either walking on top of the logs or you're just hurdling them, you know. And with me only being like five, eight, I got little legs. So to get up over a, a dead tree, you know, it makes it tough.
1: Yeah. I think that deadfalls will make you decide really quickly if you're going to be an elk hunter or not. Oh, yeah. I knew nothing <laughs> of deadfalls. For yeah. I didn't know anything about Deadfalls for my two first two elk seasons, but we were hunting a spot that didn't have many trees to begin with, and the spots that it did have trees, it was a recent burn. And so we would just glass it and we might see elk in them, but it didn't seem like we could make a play on them, so we didn't put too much time and energy into it. But I experienced Deadfall for the first time on a mountain goat hunt. And oh, yeah. I hope it's my last time. I That was one of the most miserable days of my life, but also I look back on it and would do it again tomorrow if I could. It was it was like that weird like back and forth, just climbing up and down. And it wasn't even like hurtling. There were times where it's like you're pushing yourself because it's a pile of trees and you're like having to like pull yourself up and over. And you can't just like jump down on the other side because there's branches and other logs. And it'll make you slow down and appreciate just what kind of country you're in faster than anything else will. It probably took yeah. us, I would say going through deadfall, we maybe made it a half a mile, a quarter mile through deadfall, and it took us like an hour and a half. Oh, I mean, yeah. It it doesn't, it'll make a man out of you.
2: And what really sucks is you look up and you see an elk running away and they just trot right over it like it's oh, nothing. yeah. You know.
0: The the (laughs) athleticism
1: of those animals, dude. I'm telling you. Oh my gosh. You see a deer run and you're like, okay, it's taking off. It's going across this field, but then it's gonna hit the cover on the other side and it's just gonna chill out. I've watched elk run multiple miles in a matter of fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, like a whole herd of them. And it's like, dude, that same trip would have taken me all day long and they're in yep. and out of timber across creek bottoms, marshes, fields, over fences and yeah, when they get spooked, like you might as well wait and go find yeah. some other animals. Like don't don't bother chasing after that group.
2: That's one thing that made it tough for us this year was because we were there early and because vocalizations were at a at a low uh, being in timbered country, you know, glassing opportunities were just, they weren't there, you know, honestly, unless we got to a peak or a ridge, that's the only time I really use my binos, you know, or just to look over some mountain ranges. But there was really no, what I would have called glassing opportunities just because it was so timbered. Oh, okay. My goal for this year is hopefully to get into an area where there's more glassing opportunities, just, just on the sole factor that I want to see elk, you know, if I'm traveling out west, I want to see elk, and yeah. hunt them.
1: Yeah, the tough part is, like, when you have a ton of land to glass, um, you're still having to glass into cover, typically. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, unless it's early morning or late evening, or there's just no hunting pressure where you're at, the odds of just seeing them out in the open, like... Yeah, It's just not that good. I've seen them in cover to where we've got four or five guys picking apart one patch, and you might sit there for 20 minutes and one guy gets a glimpse of a hoof underneath a cedar tree. Like, it just takes one step, and he's like, they're in there. We know they are. And then all of a sudden, you might pick out 12 of them in there, and everyone's got eyes on them in, an, in different openings, and then they just vanish again. They are a yeah. weird, weird creature. And part of me wants to go and do a, um, a Coos deer hunt because I heard those are even more like elusive.
2: I hear so many guys talk about those on podcasts and just how, how tough they are, but I hear they're phenomenal tasting.
1: Oh, I bet. I mean, it's a you tiny whitetail. So yeah, you've yeah. got to be pretty good.
2: I mean, are they even a hundred pounds?
1: I don't know. I've never, I mean, I've seen them on videos, but, I would say they're probably like a big, a big one is probably maybe a little bit over a hundred pounds. I would guess that most of the does are underneath a hundred pounds though.
2: Yeah. I would, I would think, I, I think most of those areas, I mean, they're, they got a high population of coos deer, don't they?
1: Yeah. I mean, from the sound of it, it's a lot like what I was just saying with elk, like you'll be glassing and glassing, you'll pick out, you'll pick apart an area for an hour and a half and not see anything. And then all of a sudden there's 12 of them standing in, in the right. open right, and five right. minutes later, they're gone and you don't see them again the rest of the day. And so yeah. I would guess it's pretty high numbers. It seems like wherever whitetail are, uh, they reproduce and they populate an area pretty quick. I mean, they kind of take over landscapes. And so really? I just don't know in the desert if they're super concentrated or if they're spread out. I, that's something I just need to do more research on. I'm definitely yeah. not going anytime soon. I've got a whole lot of uh, spot and stock experience that I need to gain before I, I chase yeah, after yeah. one of those things. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Just the whole elk experience this year, it it puts a new perspective to hunting for me. Yeah. It You know, uh, like I said, with the whole budgeting aspect of it and then just your fitness level too, man. When you think you're in shape, travel out west and elk hunt man it'll it'll put you to the test you know whenever we got to our camp we were eight miles back that was hands down the hardest hike in you know yeah i've only done one western hunt but that was hard that was just so hard and i was just i was dead
1: looking back so this is where i realized how much i love hunting because in the moment and steve Renella talks about this all the time i've mentioned it several times the type two fun where in the yep. moment it's just miserable yep. and you're suffering and you're like, this is never going to end. I'm never going to get dry. I'm never going to get warm. I'm never going to make it to the top or through this deadfall. But looking back, it's like, man, that was a good time. Like oh my I gosh. really enjoyed it. And that is what will forever bring me out West and forever yep. make me do new challenges. Like I think about my bucket list hunt, m- uh, moose hunting, and yep. I want to, I want to moose hunt floating down the river in Alaska, and I guarantee I'm going to be up there and just losing my mind about how difficult it is, right? Like just why did I do this? Why did I pay so much money? Why did I put so much time and energy into it? But looking back, I know it's going to be one of my fondest memories.
2: I had a a similar experience on a vacation. We floated in the Teton River in Idaho, and we floated down in between two bull moose in the summertime. They were full velvet, you know, one on each side of the creek that Dude. we were on. And we floated right in between them. And it it was like looking at a big statue. I was like, what in the heck <laughs> is that? They were just huge. Yeah. You know, you see these things on TV and then and when you see them in person, it's just like, holy crap.
1: Dude, how about how about the first meal though? After you get back to camp on one of those (laughs) days, there is nothing like it. I mean, especially, um, if you get an elk and you have to pack that sucker out, I mean, you're like grinding up the mountain or like over deadfall with, with a ton of meat on your back and the, every step it's just like, this is never going to end. Like I will never make it but then you finally do and you get back and I don't care if it's like a freaking cheese filled hot dog, like better with cheddar deal or it could be a five course meal. It's going to be the best thing you've ever tasted in your life after a hard day like that.
2: Dude, our hike out we had, you know, we hiked out and we got back, we rented a U-Haul because rental cars were so expensive. So we just totally just U-hauled it in a That's van. Awesome. And we put all our gear, it was, it was actually,
1: it worked perfect. That's I That's a have changed brilliant anything. idea.
2: I heard John Dudley did that this, this fall too on an antelope hunt. He rented a U-haul and it was like, you know, 25 bucks a day, plus like 60 cents a mile versus like 1800 bucks for a small SUV that we would have been crammed in.
1: I'm doing that. I can't believe, dang it. I should have, I, I can actually edit this out before it airs because all of a sudden U-Hauls are going to go through the roof. Oh my gosh! are all going to be renting it.
2: So we get, we get back to the U-Haul and I had a a. <laughs> I bought a family bag of Skittles at Walmart and I had it in the U-Haul. They had baked in there for like eight days and I opened up my door and I saw these bag of Skittles and I'm like. Thank you, Lord. I was so happy. I think I just, I took like four fistfuls of Skittles and I'm like, this is sweet. <laughs> this is yeah. so awesome.
1: Oh yeah. Everything, everything tastes better while you're hunting. Water, like cold water. Oh man. Oh, yeah. It never hits as hard as when you have to like stop on the trail. You like lean against a tree to get the weight off your pack and uh, just take yep. a big swig yep. of water. I, yep. there. Dude, I, I freaking love it, man. I absolutely love it. And yep. hopefully we can, we can get more people out there and experiencing it, but it's, dude, it's, it's been over an hour and five minutes already. I, know happens. I can't believe that it seems insane to me. <laughs> um, but I want to respect your time. I know my wife, well, I'm hoping she's got the kids to bed by now. Um, yeah. but she'll probably be up upstairs. She's pregnant right now. So I'm guessing she's eating an ice cream sandwich or something, um, without me in the kitchen, but I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to give you an opportunity to share where people can find you, where people can listen to the new podcasts and maybe when, and, uh, yeah, how they can follow along with the journey that you're on.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I'm on Instagram, Tyler M monk, um, go wild. Um, that's a new rather new social media platform I've been tossing some around some ideas around with um, Facebook too that's about it man
1: yeah nice well yeah everybody go check that out when do you plan on uh, launching your first episode
2: oh it should be out oh I think within a week or two we're just getting to get some um, podcasts built up so I just have them and then uh, you know just release them maybe two a week or so
1: nice man well, that's exciting. I'm excited to continue to follow along on your journey, see how things go for you. And uh, we need to go chase some elk together.
2: Oh, I, <laughs> September's so finite, man. I can't wait, man.
1: Yeah. when? Uh, what states are you going out to this year? Or do you know what destination you're going to be at?
2: Uh, we're hoping to go to Montana. If Montana doesn't work out, we're going to fall back on Colorado uh just try to hopefully get in some areas you know where Colorado's just there's so many people in Colorado you know with the unlimited OTC but um that's a plan right now you know it's still early so we'll work some things out nice
1: well man good luck this year uh thanks for reaching out and thanks for hopping on the podcast with yeah. me yeah thanks for all your help man i appreciate you absolutely And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I had so much fun talking with Tyler. And what did I tell you about that hack? A U-Haul van? Are you kidding me? Like, you don't have to pay for a hotel. Just bring a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad and crash in the back of it. It's got all the room for any gear that you could want to bring out there. And if you're thinking about bringing like a four-wheeler or a side-by-side or say you have a big wall tent or something, get like a box truck. You can get a U-Haul box truck, probably for cheaper than most SUV rentals, and take it out there. Load the four-wheeler, the side-by-side up in the back with some ramps, and you are good to go. Anyways, I am 100% going to use that hack in the future. I was blown away and kind of upset with myself that I had never thought of it, but I'm, I'm very grateful to Tyler for sharing one of his secrets and hopefully u-haul or rental truck prices don't go through the roof because of it anyways hopefully you guys are getting out and chasing after something i mean if you don't have like deer or turkey or ducks or anything like that open right now odds are coyote hunting is still open and i have fallen in love with coyote hunting i'm telling you we're killing them here like crazy and yeah i'm just pumped to continue to get out after them in fact tomorrow i'm gonna be going after some right before i go to guys night Um, And I've got new camera and lighting equipment. So I'm pumped to be uh, recording more of my hunts, as well as posting my stuff on YouTube. All of my calls, all of my uh, Zoom meetings that I have with my guests, I'm going to be posting to YouTube. And now I've got better quality uh, video and images and all of that good stuff. So I think 2022 is about to be an awesome year. I think it's going to be a great year for Tyler. I know it's going to be a great year and it has started off as a great year for me. Please, like I said, hop on and support him. Hop on YouTube, Um, watch the videos, engage. That'll help me out in some way or another, I'm sure. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.